Blog Talk Radio. Hi there, I'm Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, and this show is a celebration of baby boomers who are embracing life as we grow older. And one great way to celebrate life, especially during this time of shelter in place, is by sharing stories with our grandchildren. And that's where our guest today comes in. Roshni Chakshi is a New York Times best-selling author of numerous award-winning books aimed at young adults. And among her other bestsellers, Roshni is the creator of the much-loved Pandava series, which is a Hindu-based series of books celebrating fantasy, adventure, and, of course, girl power. And her latest book in that series <laughs> is called Arusha and the Tree of Wishes. And Roshni is joining us today to share all about it. So welcome, Roshni. Thank you so much for having me. Well, first off, I did have a chance to tell you before we went on air, but I want to say it again. Congratulations on the success of your books. You've become a New York Times bestselling author. You've received a number of awards for your writing. And being an author wasn't necessarily your first choice as a career. So tell us a little bit about how you fell into all this good fortune. Oh, I mean, I I really have my family to thank for all of it. I grew up in a, a wonderful family of extraordinary storytellers who were really, really encouraging of me to set my voice down on paper and to not be shy about it. But they also had a lot of practical considerations for me. I mean, when I graduated college, I had a degree in medieval English, and my mother's response was, dear God, I hope you marry Rich. So um, <laughs> from there, I went to law school. And, you know, i got to be honest with you, I loved law school. It was a fabulous experience. It taught me a lot about storytelling and the craft of narrative. And uh, it was actually in law school where my first book sold. And after that, I asked my parents if I could move into the basement for a bit. They said yes. The book came out. Um, It was a success. Hit the New York Times bestseller list. I was really, really fortunate. Um, And so I decided to to leave law school, even though I loved it, but, uh, but I left. Well, and and you're talking about your family, (laughs) and I have to point out, because my audience is composed of these people, but you credit a lot of your success to your grandma. So tell us a little bit about how she touched your life in particular. My both of my grandmothers uh, are just extraordinary people. Unfortunately, we lost my maternal grandmother this November, but she was, you know, 89 and still was able to come to my wedding and dance a bit on the dance floor. So I'm I'm grateful that that God gave me that experience. But uh, my paternal grandmother is the one who told me so many stories and fairy tales and uh, pieces of Hindu mythology when I was growing up. And it's really because of her that I had the confidence to tackle Arusha on the end of time. Um, the series is loosely inspired by a major Sanskrit epic, which is really important to a lot of Indians, um, and it's called the Mahabharata. And the story is based off of five legendary demigod brothers, the adventures that they go on, how they win their kingdom back. Um, there's also one of the most important Hindu religious texts is embedded within that poem. And um, it's just such a, a weighty story with a huge ensemble cast, and I don't think that uh, I would have even had the confidence to try to put my own spin on it if my grandmother hadn't, um, you know, just instilled me with that confidence and told me those stories from a very young age. 
Wow. Well, I know that the stories and, and of course, the, the the religious, you know, components to all of that, you know, are, again, an integral part of these series of books. But you have to use your imagination, too. So I'm just wondering, it always inspires me when I hear about how authors tell about where they some of their ideas come from. Uh, do you do you have a set time where you sit there and write and just go, okay, ideas come? <laughs> do you walk your dog and get them outside? Do you find them in the shower? I mean, where do some of these? Because you're, it's so imaginative. The stories, uh, the the book is Thank is you. filled with all sorts of imagery and interesting things. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm, I'm very glad to hear that you think so. Um, I feel like for me, some ideas take years. Uh, to really present themselves. You know, um, I'll hear a story ages ago, and I'll think about it every now and then, but I don't really know what to do with it until another idea pops into my head and then they join together. But I found that sometimes when I'm really trying to get creative about something or I've got a deadline and I've got to figure out what to do, um, I ask myself, what is the most obvious thing that would happen in the story and how can I subvert that? Um, for example, I was working on my first adult romance novella, which was really sweet and funny, and I've never written anything like it before. Um, and, you know, one of the most popular romance tropes is the couple ends up at an inn or something like that, and they've, they've got to share one room, one bed. Everybody, like, knows that trope. It's always funny. It's always delightful, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I, I'm a huge sucker for all things romance, but because it was a fantastical story and I was trying to think of a way to, to, to play with it more, uh, the bed ended up being um, a cannibal monster. So it was literally trying to eat you. And uh, that was just fun for me to write. So, you know, here they are arguing about which side are you going to stay on, or I'm going to stay on the floor, and here's this bed slowly stalking them. So that was fun. Um, and that was, to me, like an idea that didn't germinate from something beautiful in a long walk or whatever. It was just like, huh. What can I do that's obvious, and what would then be less obvious? <laughs> well, well, another thing I have to ask you is because there's, you know, this is rich. There's a lot of layers, twists and turns, and all. <laughs> How do you keep everything straight? Do you do like a storyboard, or do you do an outline, or do you just write, or, or do the characters speak to you? How do you keep manage to kind of keep things in place? Yeah, I um, well, I keep a really detailed outline. That's less about, like, the things that happen in the story and more about what each character's um, going to feel throughout the way. I, I like to organize it in terms of emotional beats rather than a character goes to A, character goes to B, et cetera. So um, that's how I organize tales. I use a writing software called Scrivener, which I find extremely helpful. Um, I think you guys can get a trial for, like, for free for 40 days if there's any writers listening who want to give it a try. Um, and it's spelled S-C-R-I-V-E-N-E-R. Um, and it's deeply helpful. That way I'm able to keep like an entire series in one file and I can easily reference back to book two when I'm in the middle of book four and that sort of thing. Wow. Oh, yeah, that would be incredibly helpful, I can imagine, because like in, in, in addition to each book as a standalone book, you write in series. You've written a couple series now, and and so that has got yeah. to be very <laughs> challenging to remember. Uh oh, wait, I I just killed them off last time. <laughs> I mean, there there are things that you have to keep straight. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and you were talking about your characters and all and, and kind of the emotional aspects of them. And I saw in an interview that you confessed to having a, a kind of a special fondness for Arusha. So how do you and she relate especially maybe? Oh, gosh. Well, I got to say, Aru, I, I ended up giving her so many of my own traits when I was that age. I was such a weird kid in middle school. I'm very grateful that my parents were loving and that I had good friendships, which have continued on to this day. But uh, like Aru, I had a really overactive imagination. I had a tendency to stretch the truth. And I think like so many other <laughs> girls in seventh grade, I was just like, waiting for the I was waiting to become beautiful I was waiting for someone to notice me and I was waiting to to like be proven right that I was exceptional in some way although I I really wasn't for the longest time um I think that's actually probably for the best nobody wants to peak in middle school (laughs) (laughs) there you go Well, and so, again, I, I noticed you alluded to stretching the truth a bit, and that's kind of a big part of the story here. Yes, absolutely. That is very much Aru's habit. She stretches the truth. She's got a really big imagination, but she's got a lot of loving friends and a wonderful support system so that as she grows up and changes, um, those, weak, those things that she thought were weaknesses about herself uh, eventually reveal themselves to be strengths. And that's one of the beautiful things about growing up. Some things that you might not like about yourself end up becoming the things that make you you. Well, and on that note, uh, I, I went as to because there are a lot of elements to all of your books, but uh, this one I, I had the opportunity to read and thought is just wonderful. But what do you hope your readers take away from your books, uh, besides some of the history and the religious uh, allusions, alluding to a historical events, etc. Tell us a little bit about one of of the things that you'd like to impart. Well, what I really hope readers take away from it um, is that I I want them to question who is telling them a story. Uh, One wonderful thing about Hindu mythology is that the heroes are capable of doing very villainous things, and the villains are capable of moments of extraordinary heroism. And to me, what that does is it blurs the line between what is considered good, what is considered evil, and perhaps if you just step back far enough, you're able to recognize the stories on both sides and to come away with a lot more compassion and empathy. So um, I hope that that's what my readers take away from it. I hope it makes them curious. I hope that when they read the news and look at pieces of historical text, but they always consider the bias of who chose to preserve it and why. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a very good point, <laughs> Rushdie. <laughs> well, before we have to run, I want our listeners to know you do have a wonderful website. I've checked it out. It's not only beautifully, visually beautiful, but you've got links to your various books. And also, where can our, our listeners go to find out more about you, your books, and your work? So they can find me at www.roshnichokshi.com, which is spelled R-O-S-H-A-N-I-C-H-O-K-S-H-I. And there you'll find links to my Twitter and my Instagram account, where I'm often talking about all things writing and posting pictures of my cat named Teddy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this has been a delight for me. Thank you so much, Roshni. Thank you so much for having me. Take care.
Yeah, you too. And of course, I I want to celebrate your wonderful creativity, your Hindu heritage, and all these delightful stories. It's it's really been a pleasure. And for all of you listeners you. out there, make sure you check out each of Rashni's books, especially Arusha and the Tree of Wishes, her brand new, it's latest. It's going to give you and your grandchildren many hours of reading pleasure, lots to discuss, and some deeper elements too. So there's fun, and then there are some larger messages, as you could tell from our interview. So until next time, this is Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, saying I'll catch you later. Bye-bye.